Yeah, it's really true. It's like we've got completely sidetracked because all of this very human stuff has been around way longer than business. And then the process of, of, of business is really just about people coming together to do stuff together. But it's taken on a life of its own where it's seen as this thing that's somehow separate from friendship and separate from families and separate from the rest of the rest of life. And actually, I think we need to bring those things back together again and reconnect to the, the humanness that we've had for much longer than we've had businesses. Welcome to the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. This is a podcast for people who look at business differently. It's for founders, freelancers, change makers, and freedom seekers who want to make money, do good, and be happy. We choose the path of the happy entrepreneur not to get rich, but to express ourselves and serve others in the most authentic way we can. Many of us couldn't find our role by working for others, and so we chose to work for ourselves. We took the more uncertain path, not because we wanted to, but because we needed to. We value learning, play, and friendship, and we have a need to make a meaningful impact in the world. By following the path of the happy entrepreneur, we learn as much about ourselves as we do about business. On this podcast, I have conversations with other happy entrepreneurs from different walks of life, industries, and countries. We talk about the journey and about what we learned about ourselves along the way. For us, entrepreneurship isn't just a way to make money, but a journey of self-discovery and growth. If you're on the same path and are looking for inspiration and connection, then this podcast is for you. When Lawrence and I closed our digital agency, it seemed like the natural thing to do. At the time, we had a beautiful studio, a talented team, and clients with ongoing projects, but we'd lost the creative energy to keep it going. We weren't clear about its future, and we were being drawn to grow the Happy Startup School. While it wasn't plain sailing closing Spook Studio, the experience was a lot less traumatic than that of many other founders. In this episode of the podcast, we're joined for our Friday fireside by Tom Nixon, author, coach, and founder of Maptio, a tool to help develop self-managing organizations. He's on a mission to support founders and research what it takes to create and close impactful companies. Tom shares his story of entrepreneurship, how he closed his company, and why some businesses have a natural shelf life. And that's fine. We talk about the taboo connected with closing a company and how we've lost sight of the creativity and the humanity at the core of business. Businesses may be legal entities in themselves, but in reality, they're just a collection of people brought together by the creative energy of the founder. When we forget this, we can easily become imprisoned by the structures we've created. If you're a founder thinking about closing your company or at the beginning of a startup journey, we hope that this conversation will give you a new and more energizing perspective of what it means to be an entrepreneur. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another Friday Fireside here with the Happy Startup School. Um, As always, there's Lawrence, and we have a special guest. And today we are joined by Tom Nixon, a good friend of ours, an inspiration of ours, actually, when we were in our agency days, uh, one of the companies that we were looking up to. And essentially, uh, 
part of the theme of this this conversation is about closing. I think we followed in in your footsteps to a certain well in a certain <laughs> way about how we transitioned out of, out of that first business. Um, before we kick off, uh, please say hi in the chat. We'd love to uh, get a feel for who's in the room. So if you could share where you're um, watching from, that'd be nice. And uh, tell us also, are you running a business or are you starting a business or are you closing a business? Because it'd be interesting to know, um, yeah, who's who's feeling uh, maybe the topic of the conversation that we're going to be uh, diving into during this call. Um, but before we go deep, <laughs> why don't we just have a quick check-in uh, to start off with. Um, Tom, why don't you just, uh, how, how are you feeling today? <laughs> um, I'm feeling, I don't know, I'm just feeling quite sort of, a bit sort of cheeky. And I, maybe it's just because I'm hanging out with you, hanging out with you guys. I feel I'm in quite a, play, a playful mood is how I'm, is how I'm feeling right now. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. The sun's shining. So, um, yeah, happy to be here. And you just come back from from some other place that isn't the UK. Yeah, yeah. By a strange stroke of luck, I was in the French Alps when the lockdown situation intensified on a 10-day holiday. So we just decided, my family and I decided to stay out there. So a 10-day trip turned into 10 weeks in the countryside. So it was a good place to be locked down, not least because it meant I didn't have a a four-year-old climbing the walls with no outdoor ways <laughs> from our normal city digs. So I'm in, yeah, I'm in my son's bedroom at the moment, which is why I have three bears behind me. Oh, yeah, so we just we just got back, so I'm in that reverse culture shock of being back in the city after being in the countryside and being a bumpkin for ten weeks. That's super surreal. <laughs> How about you, Lawrence? How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm just thinking of us being known as cheeky now. Uh, uh, someone the other day was saying that Cheeky Nando's is a thing, isn't it? <laughs> go for cheeky, go for cheeky, happy startup chat. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, like Tom, kind of. Uh, well, been out this morning. It always makes me feel better. Um, and yeah, looking forward to this chat. Really, I think uh, we've been talking to a lot of people lately who've been at the point of uh, closing a business as well as starting. So I think it's always nice to bring up this conversation because it feels like one that's not not talked about very much really mm. cool um i'm um i've had a nice start to the morning I, it's it's more, fridays is is a homeschooling morning for me so trying to get the kids to do something educational uh and this morning it was reading a book with esme and playing bop it which uh i'm not sure where the educational part of it is but it definitely helped with the hand-eye coordination and also keeping the kids occupied for this morning uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation too, um, from not only just the perspective of closing, but also what that means for starting um, and reading or rereading a lot of your stuff again, Tom, around um, why businesses uh, should or need to start uh, and that word need coming into it. Is, is, uh, hopefully that's something that we can uh, share with anyone, everyone listening. Um, and what in our heads or in my intention with this was really giving a different perspective around why businesses start and why businesses end uh, to empower any of you who are considering uh, any part of that journey <laughs> uh, and giving you uh, I think a different perspective rather than being driven by what uh, what you think other people tell you to do around business mm -hmm. so wh where to kick off Tom what would be a good good place for you to start 
Uh, well, I think the place to start is death. Um, and specifically the taboo of death. And there is a real thing in Western culture that death is a taboo. You know, we live most of our lives as if we're not going to die. We don't really think about it very much. We think that death is a terrible and awful thing. And of course, grief can be, and the, the pain that is experienced when when death occurs is is very real. But this Western idea that death is a taboo and death is in, inherently bad, I just don't think helps us. I don't think it serves us. And I think that same taboo gets carried over into business. And so I don't know about, about you guys, but certainly for me, when when I tell people that the, the business I spent 15 years working in, that we, that we closed that business, often the first things people will say is, oh, that's sad, oh, that's a shame. And that's really interesting to me because, yeah, on the one hand, that makes, that makes sense because there was a loss, you know, a, a tribe where people felt a sense of belonging had, had closed. And to, to acknowledge that, that grief and that loss is, is fine. But also it was really creative. The ending paved the way for new things to, to emerge. The assets and the energy were all freed up for the things that came next. You know, nothing really fundamental was actually lost at all. And I think that's one of the things that we need to do is to start removing this, this taboo of death. And it's really interesting, you know, even in the capitalist system, that economies and businesses are supposed to perpetually grow forever, which to me is not so much like um, a natural form of life. That's more like a cancer that just grows um, forever. And then you see the Silicon Valley billionaires are now investing all their money in trying to cure death so that they won't ever die and can live, you know, for forever. And I don't think any of this is particularly human or, or helpful at all. So starting off by saying, yeah, let's acknowledge the pain of death, but also get over this judgment that death is that death is bad and can be really creative. So that's my that's my starting point. What do you guys what do you guys think? Is that a nice cheery place to begin? As Martin said, ease us in there, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I I think that's a great place to start the idea that things end. Um, the thing that sprang to mind though when when I was thinking particularly about business is this idea of building a, a company that lasts, a company that endures. You know, a, you know we. I can remember the beginning of our business journey, looking at some of these companies that have been around for a hundred years and how that was like an amazing thing. And so um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird conflict when you, when you start something and, and accepting that it can end when there's this story around, okay, it, you know, if it's going to be any good, it should be around forever. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think the way I like to think of these things, well, there's two, two things actually. And the first is that, I think often we get very attached to the idea that, that companies or businesses or organizations are things, like they're things in and of, in and of themselves. And, and even people go to the extent of saying like a company or an organization has a soul of, it, of its own. And there, are, there is some good in that. And it's can certainly there is, there is use in having things like legal entities, for example. And, and it can be powerful to think about, you know, what is, what is the soul of this, this organization. But then we can get really attached as if that is the thing. But actually, you know, a company is just it's just a, con a construct or it's a story, if, if you like. And what I find is most useful is to get underneath that, to get underneath the, the idea of the company or the organization and say, what is the creative endeavor underneath all of that? Because somebody at some point had some kind of idea, as you alluded to at the beginning, um, 
Carlos. There was some kind of need, some sort of impulse that made somebody embark on a process to make something happen. And that's the thing to focus on. Like, what, what, what was the idea that's being realized here? And who's that connected to? Where does the energy for that, for that thing come from? And when you look at it from that perspective, then it's much more natural to see these things as moving more in arcs. So if you're creating something, it starts from an idea and then maybe it builds and then you get to a point where maybe you've built the thing you need to build and it's and it's done or you've you've invested everything you want to to invest in it. And it's actually time then to to either hand it off to somebody else through a through a succession. And I think it is fine that things can get passed down many generations. The oldest companies in the world are many hundreds of years years old, um, and sometimes it's okay to just say this thing is done now, and it needs to it needs to close, and let's let's free up everything that's here for new for new things. Um, so yeah, so thinking of things as creative initiatives in, in arcs rather than organizations or companies being the thing that can be quite a quite a liberating concept, I think. Yeah, that idea of. Um... Uh, succession is, is interesting because um, there's this. I think some of us feel, or oh, there are people out there, uh, and I've felt it for a while that oh, did, we started this thing, so it, we need to keep it going mm. because it's there's a there's a responsibility to the thing. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking maybe talking to this idea of I think you started with why people believe that they keep, need to keep going. Mm. And then giving um, some thoughts and ideas as to why that, why that's good at some times, and sometimes it isn't necessarily the best thing for you to do. Yeah, yeah, and I can I can only speculate about about this really. And I think it's different for different for different people. Sometimes people fall into a sunk cost trap and think I've invested so much in this that I can't possibly close it. But actually, you're never getting back that time and. And in an investment, you know, it's only all that matters is where you are today and what can come, what can come next. So trying to avoid that sunk cost trap that crops up in many instances in, in, in life and work is one. I think, you know, the, the, the taboo of death is another, as we've already discussed. I think there can be just, um, you know, a feeling of shame associated with it as well. And I, you know, and I remember that definitely bubbling up for me at times when I closed my first business is that feeling of like, I'm a failure. And it, and it really shows up as that rich, deep emotion that Brene Brown talk, you know, is the, is the world leading expert on about, yeah, this feeling of, of, sh of, yeah, just pure shame. And so really dealing with that, and that is inner work more than any, anything else, because you don't want to just keep investing more and more of your life in something because of a fear of shame. That's probably not going to be a great a great use of your a great use of your time. So I think yeah, there's many re reasons for it, and it's probably different for for different people, I would guess. What was it like for you guys? So when you um, you know were making your decisions about about the digital agency? Hmm. I Lawrence, you're going to start off by even just sharing that bit of that story and where we were at at that time mm. to give people some context. Seems like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> Mind you, even January feels like a lifetime ago. Um, I remember. I mean, we 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 were we started the Happy Startup School as a side project, really. In was it late two thousand and twelve? Yeah. And I remember for the next year or so, we were. I think even before that, we'd been mulling around with ideas for products, and I think I don't say we'd ever wanted to close the agency. It was more just maybe having a bit more autonomy about how we worked after working for close to 10 years 
for clients. Anyone's run a service business knows how how great it can be, but also how tough it can be. Um, you know, in terms of managing your time and also just feeding the beast of um, people's wages to pay and and all that stuff. So um, I remember being on that journey and and thinking about you know what's the vision for the business going forward. And I, I can't remember being as clear as I was when we started in terms of what that vision was and actually looking back now what the needs were driving it uh, but I think we had that language at the time um, but I remember coming across Tom and Charlie who's been on one of these uh, shows with us before um, just bringing up the idea of things can come to an end and that's okay was a huge revelation for me I remember thinking that you know for a long time I was thinking like you said there's so much responsibility in mm. closing it for the people we had as a part of our team I think for our families, we both me and Carlos had young kids at the time, and that it seems a bit reckless maybe to sort of bite the hands at Fiji. And so that all these things are going on at the time. I remember specifically thinking, yeah, from the outside it looks reckless. From the inside, it started to feel like the right thing to do to to just give our. We all were to trying to think how can we run both of them at the same time. Yeah, I can remember that that thought process. Yeah, and I think you you highlight Lawrence something something really important and interesting, which is this tension between you know it's all well and good for us sort of like creative entrepreneur types to go oh yeah you know the vision doesn't have life in it yet so let's just close it down and move on to the next thing like yeah that's super creative but then you know th- these decisions affect other people's lives if you have mm. if you have employees and 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 families and you can't be really glib about about that stuff and that's definitely a, a trap that I can sometimes fall into because I you know have a bias much more towards the creative you know now and again I'll post something about this on social media and then one of my ex-employees will be like fuck you for closing the business and it's like yeah you know fair fair enough really and you have to really deal with both and and create you know the most the most digni- dignified ending that you can and think about people that are involved in this i mean i can t- i can tell you a little story about this actually from from the closing of my own company you know and you mentioned our, our good friend charles charles davies a moment a moment again he, he sat me down a few days after i'd made the decision to close my company and um, announced it to the team and we knew there was going to be this kind of chaotic difficult period ahead and he said to me you know what's the most important thing that you need to remember and hold on to during this time um and really the thought that, that that popped into my head immediately was that I realized that associated with the company that we'd created, there was this deep expectation of this real sense of integrity that when not the kind of bullshit integrity that's part of every corporate, you know, list of core values, but but like a real genuine integrity that was really around sort of care and generosity, I think. And um and I said, I have to hold on to that because um if I've if I've got that then I can rebuild some, something else. And if I haven't got that, I've got nothing. And then he said to me, okay, Tom, he said, how much money have you got? I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, add up every bit of wealth that you have, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a millionaire or anything like that. So I was like, okay, well, I'm lucky enough to own my own home and I've got a little bit of savings. And he made me work it all out and write down the number. And he said, what's more important to you, your integrity or that number? I was like, and this is classic Charlie, right? But, you know, I was like, you bastard, I was like, you've got me because it had to be the integrity because I knew I could make more money in the future. But to me, that integrity collapsing would have been real bankruptcy and that would have been hard to bounce back from. And, I, and that would be one bit of advice I would give to anyone who is facing a closing is this is an opportunity to really connect back to what is most important to you, what your values really are and be really honest about it. And... For me personally, you know, I took some quite big personal risks 
during that time. There was one employee, for example, who was um, who was I think he either just had a baby or was about to. And he just moved house and had just had a new big mortgage. And then he was being told that the company was wrapping up and he was lo- losing his job. You know, and I I said to, and I knew he would be all right because he was a, t- a talented guy. Um, but I said, you know, if it comes to it and you can't pay your mortgage, you know, I'll pay it for you. And that would have been a real stretch for me because I wasn't, I wasn't sure how I'd pay my own mortgage at the, at the time. But to me, that was a part of the care and generosity that I knew had to be expressed. Um, and so, you know, it can lead you to making some some sometimes quite radical or different decisions about how you handle things in, in the closing by connecting, yeah, to what's to what's most important to you. And fortunately, it worked out okay. And we we closed the company and ended it in the black. And there was a bit of money left over that we distributed to everyone who'd seen it seen it through. Um, but um, but yeah, but that was yeah that was a key thing key learning for me. Mm. That integrity piece for me is is really interesting. Uh, in terms of also the the perceptions people have of why you made the decision. Mm. If they think, oh, you're closing the company, you get loads of money and you're going to start off and then you leave us here. And, and there's not that channel of communication or that level of understanding. All right, this is, this is the reason why, mm. not because um, I want to just take all the money and run or mm. I, I'm going to be in it. Um, I'm going to be better off than you once this ends. If that perception, if that perception starts to come about, that sounds like mm. that could cause real problems for people. Yeah, and I think and people do. You know, I could probably give you five different stories that explain you know why and how that com- company closed, and there'd be different stories. And it's not like one of those is true and the other the others aren't there because these things are really complex and it depends which factors you give more weight to or how you sort of explain the narrative and likewise if you asked any of my former colleagues they've all got their own story about about what happened and trying to create a bit of shared understanding can help but um but also yeah accepting that people are entitled to their stories and that was difficult for me because i know there were there were people who held certain stories of of why it, why it had happened which to me didn't seem connected to any of the facts but that were just their stories but at the same time i had to just respect that that's your experience and that's that's how you see it but sometimes yeah a bit of shared um meaning making can be mm. can be useful yeah there's a question here from katie i thought we could both answer uh, us as the happy startup school and you now having gone after closing down Nixon McInnes's, why didn't you sell it instead of just yeah. closing it? Yeah. So at the time I just I decided to, to to close it, it would not have been it would not have been sellable. I mean, with digital agency, the general rule is you need to be generating like twenty percent twenty percent net profit, growing at I don't know, like twenty percent, twenty percent a year, and so on. And we were we were not at that level. You know, we were looking at pivoting the bit pivoting the business we just come out of a big turnaround of the company actually so the company was had been very close to completely collapsing financially at least and we turned that we turned that around and then looked to change the course of the company but it would not have been saleable but the truth is even if it was that would have meant a two to three year earnout of me going and working for the woman or the man who bought who bought it and being beholden to a spreadsheet and, uh, and I was not up for that. I was up for for doing what needed to come next. Um, so yeah, so I think we did look at whether we could, and in fact, we did sell uh, um, some of the assets of the of the company. So we did explore, yeah, whether we could sell certain certain parts of it. But I'm actually really glad we didn't. You know, the the one thing that had loads of life in it in the company that whilst the consulting side of it, I think, had really reached the end of its life. 
um, was our conference, Meaning Conference, which some of you guys have probably been to. Um, and yeah, so we spun that out as a as a brand new as a brand new independent company and gave that a lease of life on its own. But for a while, I did look at selling the co- selling the conference, and yeah, and I'm really glad that, that that never happened. We didn't really pursue it that seriously. I think we talked to two potential buyers we thought might be interested. It didn't come to anything. But yeah, I'm glad we didn't because that is going yeah great guns on its own. Except mm. it's not happening <laughs> for obvious reasons. I don't think it ever came onto our radar, did it, Lawrence? Trying to sell Spook Studio. I think we knew that we weren't exactly an attractive proposition for anyone. Um, I think like Tom said, uh, it was more than anything a consultancy. And I think we hadn't exactly designed the business in a way that we weren't integral to it. You know, so I think uh, if you, well, I think the one thing that didn't appear, didn't appeal to me, like Tom said, was a two, three year earn out and essentially working for someone else for that period of time, given that I think autonomy was driving our need to create a happy startup school. Taking that away just seemed crazy. So, yeah, I think you're right. We maybe thought about it for 10 minutes. I think the only thing we sold was maybe a TV and a sofa. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember they were like uh, having some conversations with people about that uh, idea that you could sell it. Uh, And like you said, it was briefly on my mind. But then, like you said, we never built or designed or ran the business with that idea ever in mind. Mm. Because I think some uh, business owners, I see they have that idea like the next step is get it to a certain size so they can get acquired by another agency that's bigger than mine. And then I don't know what then mm. <laughs> most of the time, like I said, there's a year now, but then after that I start another agency. Yeah. <laughs> Which then does, doesn't make sense. Yeah. Exactly. I think you'd also make different, different decisions along the way. That's why when you were talking about, because I remember having conversations probably with you and some of the people in our circle in Brighton about the idea of, you know, designing a company with a long term in mind, so say a hundred year business plan or five hundred year business plan, just on the basis that you make very different decisions when you're thinking long term versus mm. with, we're building a business to sell it, yeah. to make to make it attractive to investors. So I'm curious how that, um, I don't know how that sits with the idea of actually it might only last five ten years or even less, and that's okay too. Yeah, and I think I think it's a really good question, and I, I think it's. Even though it can seem slightly paradoxical, I think you can do you can do both. I think you can really think long think long term rather than rather than short term is a really healthy thing to do to free yourself up from the you know what are we doing in the next quarter, but really think big and at the same time not be attached to having to do that to having to execute against that hundred year. Yeah. Plan. Even if it's not the thing that there's any energy to do anymore, it's not what you need or it's not what the world needs. Um, anymore so i think yeah you can i think that the, the both can be really compatible yeah i think it's um yeah i, I think for me it's every time we've tried to plan long term it's it just the energy gets out from me to be honest I, I think maybe what's going on at the moment's accelerated it but yeah i think we work better in short cycles and still having a, a an eye on a vision but not not be attached to hitting goals each each quarter or, or year yeah, well, I liked. There's a nice little soundbite that I uh, read. I think it was from um, Fred Lalou in Reinventing Organisations, where he said, "You know, working a bit like farmers, where farmers will think, you know, decades ahead to how the land might develop, what might what might be there. But then it's like, what are we growing this this season, and what do we need to do this week to keep the farm running?" 
And, and I quite like that. And I think that's a good lesson in that for, for business, where I really agree that working in shorter cycles and just getting real by getting on with things, learning by doing is, is, is very good. But then if you're not really thinking about the long term as well, you might be missing the chance to plant some really good seeds now that might not grow into anything for, for years, but that, that might really, um, yeah, lead to a, a plentiful harvest. Stop, <laughs> stop stretching that metaphor. <laughs> we say that. Because there's something there around just having that clear vision of of what you want to create or what you think the world will turn into, yeah. um, uh, and there's that level of uncertainty that you never know that that's going to happen. Uh, I, I like the analogy with with the farming uh, because that's that's based in the land. Mm. It's based on something really solid. This the earth is going to have been around for billions of years. It's going to be around for hopefully. Yeah. some more time but crops grow crops die there's seasons i think within the creative world the creative industry i think we're being more and more detached from that regular cycle of life mm. and that so and so things come up and die and come up like ideas they live and die within our heads not necessarily within the world and i was i'm coming to that because it comes back to the idea of death mm. one of the workshops that we had in our community last week which i was really fascinated by was this idea of the eco cycle and this idea there's only finite energy this idea around physics there's only some energy can't be created from nothing it either gets destroyed and then turned into something else and then that that cycle continues so with that analogy for things to live things need to die yeah because they feed they become they feed into the birth or the gestation of a new thing yeah. uh, and so there's that that connection there i think of that cycle and how that there's a broader cycle that we may be detached from when we when things just they don't have that um, longer term view. So you see, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this, but no, I mean I completely agree. And it's how it's how ecosystems work. You know, you need trees dying in a in a rainforest so that the rainforest can can flourish. Um, and I, and and I think again that's true in biz, in businesses where you know where we live in bright in Brighton there's a really thriving computer games industry and over the years at different times there've been some bigger studios that have made some quite big games and then they've and then they collapse and then it creates this diaspora of these small little indie studios and some of them start to start to grow and when you look at it as an ecosystem. Um, suddenly it has a different perspective that was the death of that big studio was that a bad thing or was that maybe a natural thing that that big old tree needed to needed to die or it you know overextended itself and it's it's collapsed and fallen over in the storm and now that's created room for some new things for some new things to grow some of whom may well do things that were greater and more interesting than that 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 behemoth that came before it before it ever did yeah yeah good question i think yeah, sure. well, it springs to mind with the things that are always around you know the things that when we're thinking about the cycles again going back to the farming there will be seasons um and so things will grow and things will die at certain times of the year there are things needs that are always there i think of just like you know funeral directors will always be needed uh, tax advisors will always be needed if we're still doing business in the same way yeah so there's like some things that are, there's certain needs that seem to be always around this need for meaning and purpose in your in the way you work so feels like if you can spot those i think uh never dying needs and and thinking about that that's that's a way of thinking about planning for the future 
Yeah, yeah, it really can be. And from from what I can gather, that the, the very oldest companies in the in the world are Japanese temple building firms. Apparently, the oldest is something like eight hundred years old. Same, same wow. in building temples in Japan, and it's like for as long as people want to worship, there's going to be they need temples rebuilt. And so things, yeah, can. And in, interestingly, in that in that case, someone from that firm was asked what the secret of, of firms that last that long is, that last centuries, let alone generations. And they said passing it from hand to hand to hand to hand in the in the singular. And I think at each each time it's passed on, there can be a check to say, is this thing done yet? Because if it is, if we don't need temples anymore, if the worship thing is done, let's stop building temples and build something else instead and build something else instead. Um, but while there is still life in it, it can it can be passed on, but not for its own sake, it's only when it's connected to something real. That's an interesting thing that leads us on to this idea of like, okay, you can close things and you close things well, and maybe we can touch on that later, but also you can pass things on and this idea of succession mm. uh, and what what that can mean within a company if it's done well as well and what that means for passing it on. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts or stories about where you've seen that happening and what, what the quality, what, what was what was present when that that passing on happened? Yeah, definitely. I mean, succession is a big, a big part of the work that I do with um, with founders, and actually, it's one of the things that I think I, I, with hindsight, could have could have investigated a little bit more when I ended up closing my company. Is whether there was an opportunity for a for a succession. The way to think about succession is not about um, formal succession planning. So normally in business, we think about okay, there is a CEO, and the CEO is going to leave, and this is what CEOs do. So we need someone else to take over those responsibilities. Um, and that's very much attached to this idea that the company or the organization is the thing. Whereas, as I said earlier, if we drop below that and say, what's the creative endeavor underneath all of this business and company stuff that's going on? We get a different a different view on it. And succession has to be handled differently at that layer. It's much more of a heartfelt, symbolic process. It's not just about a job description, a job title, or even some shares in a limited company being being handed over. And it's really a process of one one person um, saying, "Okay, I'm done with this thing that was born of my values and of my creative impulse in the in the world, and I'm ready to hand this over to you." And the really fascinating thing is, is that when these moments of succession happen, both people really remember it, and they 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 have often these quite precious stories of of the moment they really stepped into it and the thing that became became theirs. Um, I've got an article out that we can share on, on Facebook or something later that goes into more of the, the details of that. But yeah, looking out for who is the creative successor to this mm. thing. So who will really carry on the values underneath this underneath this thing, but take it on into its next into its next generation. So the, the creative vision of what it's creating in the world will undoubtedly change because the world's not static and no two <laughs> people are identical. But the values are often the thing that really endures. And so that is a thing you can you can think about. And I do wonder what might have happened if I'd investigated that more more fully for mine rather than rather than closing it altogether. But yeah, we'll never know we'll never know. It reminds me of um, something that Charlie shared, I think, recently, yesterday. Uh, and he hosts these um, gatherings in the clearing and people just sharing stories of, about being clear. And if you want to look up more about Charlie's work is howtobeclear.com. But um, the particular session he had was there's a, a, a woman who inherited a, a Zen Buddhist tradition 
and talking about that passing on of the tradition. She says it wasn't anything she had to know or it wasn't the objects. It was a feeling that she had to carry with her. Mm. And so having trained with this her master for 20 years, she then knew what that feeling was. And so it wasn't a case of her doing it exactly the same way or taking on all the different elements of the or the structures. It was perpetuating the feeling. Mm. And I love that idea in terms of that yeah. in, in, in a business yeah. because of the way the, the world changes and we need to evolve and, and, and innovate. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's, you know, when you, when you, when you said that it's about passing on that, that and holding that feeling, that to me says it's a very embodied thing. Mm. Some ways might even be beyond words. You could try and say, you know, define the words that define the values, but actually, you know, in your, you know, in your body when you're really, yeah. really, really holding something. It feels like kind of the opposite to a culture playbook or something that you might go, here's a brand Bible or a playbook that, you know, go off and create the next version of the company. Yeah. To something much more um well, like you said hard to pin uh, down yeah i mean it when succession hasn't been handled at this deep deeper level of the of who, how the vision and values are being are being held all sorts of quite predictable problems start to emerge you know you see this in some companies where they say people talk about apple and go oh what would steve jobs do and it's like he's not around to tell us so let's we don't want to be thinking about that we need to know that there's a successor who's holding it today and i wonder whether apple really whether it Apple really has that, you know, it's, is Tim Cook really the source, you know, is he really mm. the guy hold, holding it? I'm not sure that he is. I think he's an incredible leader and logistical manager. Mm. I don't know if he's the one holding the visionary. Yeah. I also think of how many mergers and acquisitions end up typically not, not what they should be on paper, you know, when companies are taken over. I don't know if there's a similar pattern there, but mm. it feels like there's a soul, it's something like much deeper, like you said, rather than just, you know, people on in a team or numbers on a spreadsheet is much more uh, something more esoteric. Yeah, you do. I mean, a, a, a classic phenomenon that I've that I've seen multiple times in my work and research is this: you you get this drift to extreme leadership from whoever has taken over running the company. So you get, say, a founder, for example, leaves. This deeper level of succession has not has not happened, but there's some new CEO who's been hired who's got all these CEO skills. Um, and they drift. They find it really hard to just take people with them and to to, to host that process of realizing the creative vision for the in, for the endeavor. And they therefore they either drift to this very authoritarian leadership style where it's kind of like I'm the new boss now. You've got to stop thinking what would the previous founder do. You've got to stop calling up the founder who's retired now, which sometimes happens, and asking them what we should do. And you need to listen to me. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not buying it. Like, you, I don't get this. Doesn't make sense to me. And they get really stuck. Or they go to the exact opposite end of the spectrum, and you get this overly egalitarian style of leadership where everything comes about becomes about okay well i'm the ceo but i'm nothing important at all let's have yet another workshop to try and co-create a new vision and something will get created but it's kind of a bit flat it doesn't have the sharpness and the energy that it that it did before and when mm. you start to see that and i've seen companies over a period of many years go through a succession of ceos um, going bouncing back and forth between those two extremes it gets too democratic and then they go enough of that we need to see who can come in and cut through this and that doesn't work and they go back and forth and the only way to break that cycle is to go back to how the vision was being held and pick up that lost thread of succession and get someone to be holding it again so there seems to be this kind of this structural 
view of what business is. It's about roles, responsibilities, uh, competencies. And then this other level, which is a sounds much, much more a deeper human connection between the people. Because if they, if it's from what I got from that story about the Zen, the passing on that Zen tradition is like, there's something that's felt that I think only comes from really connecting with the people that you're on this journey with mm. at a level that isn't just about, can you do your job quicker, faster, better, more effectively? And, but that, what that means for people who are wanting to build businesses that way. Mm. I don't know what that, how that, how you would, I think, propose a different way of thinking of working with people and, and interacting with people in a business. Yeah, well, to, to me, it's it's first of all giving priority to the the creative endeavor underneath all of the business stuff, and not lose not losing sight of that. That there is someone somewhere who started this thing for a reason, um, and allowing allowing people to connect to that to say, well, that's that feels meaningful for me to be a part of that of that story that's un, that's unfolding, and there's a particular way that I would like to contribute to that and be part and be part of it and prioritizing that. And then on top of that, you can certainly build, you know, finding good ways of organizing is certainly really, really useful, but it's it's not falling into the trap of them making it about building an organization and the organization is the is the thing. So sometimes I see it as two, two separate layers, basically. It's like the creative endeavor underneath it. And then there's all the organizing stuff that's happening up here, which should be in service of the, of the creativity. And I think if found if founders and other leaders are, pri are prioritizing that, they've got a better chance of making the right decisions organizationally uh, without getting hugely sidetracked. Mm. Mm. One of the things we talk about, uh, <laughs> in, well, when we were a Spook Studio and even at our Happy Startup School, is the idea of talking like friends, Lawrence, and mm. what that means for us as a company or or the people we work with. I don't think we could do anything any different. Really. <laughs> It'd be weird if we didn't, seeing as we're friends. Um, but no, I think it it became part of our DNA. I suppose is what you mean. We became one of our values is how we communicate internally and externally is just talking in a way that feels natural and informal and then mm. seems to attract people who value that rather than trying to make things more lofty or complicated than they need to be. Um, so, yeah, I think for us that's been a mantra almost since day one and fed through everything we do trying to keep things simple and to the point um without saying authentic getting them authentic yeah maybe this is a good point to bring to bring that point back to the, to the topic of closing initiatives as well because one of the tensions that anyone who's closing a company will face is there's mm. a whole lot of legally financial stuff they have to deal with that you need a lot of advice from you know accountants lawyers hr advisors you know heaven forbid insolvency practitioners if it gets to that point um and often you will have to have conversations with employees who are going to lose their jobs in particular, mm. particular ways because of the way hr law works and that can often fly in the face of, of the more natural human friend friendly way of dealing with people i mean look, a, lot, a lot of talk yeah. about you know our company is a family and we hear that a lot and we probably said that ourselves in the past that, that mm. feeling of, yeah we're very close to these people yeah i mean one simple technique that i that i used um that really helped is in these conversations saying saying to to colleagues say okay for part of this conversation, I'm going to have to talk a bit like an HR manager, and it's going to really suck for you and and for me. But the letter of the law says I have to read this this legal letter to you, 
and so when I've read the letter, I'm going to take that hat off and then I'm going to be me again and we're going to, we're going to talk normally. And actually even acting it out and actually miming, taking the hats on and off can really take the sting out of it because it's the most unnatural thing to do, to do in the world. Um, but you can um, really delineate those, those two modes that you have to, yeah. that you have to be in and, and not make it all because it's a closing to go, all right, well, this now has to suddenly be all formal and I have to talk in this weird, unnatural way because it's all about HR. Our law. It doesn't have to, to be. Like I have that. really strong memories of that time when we were closing Spooch Studio and then going to our lawyer, Panina, and asking for some advice. Or what do we do? How, how do we manage this? And just this whole kind of series of legal steps that we needed to follow. And just that not feeling at all energizing yeah. or or just even right. Mm. And while we had to follow them and we then you had to write the letter and we had the different consultation period, the thing I remember most was walking around the park with each person and yeah. having a conversation. Yeah. I think someone Elsbeth's on the call. She's actually got a question we can tap into in a minute, which I think you touched on already. Tom about dealing with team members but um yeah she was wondering how to communicate this to the team and I, I said maybe it's maybe talk to them individually which is what we did um and get them out of the office rather than sat across the table maybe go for a walk because uh it's whatever works for you but that's certainly for us I think felt more uh true to the way we behaved and also what mm. I think they valued that personal touch yeah definitely and I think there are de definitely a range of different ways you'll need to communicate with people so there's going to be probably a moment where the news is going to be broke broken to people and if the decision's been made then you kind of owe it to people to to communicate it as quickly as you can so that might often have to be to a group but then mm -hmm. having time one-on-one -on -one to talk to people i mean one of the things that i did is you know recognizing that um closing company can open a grieving process for people you know and all of the the kubler ross stages of of, of grief will be experienced by people at different check times. a previous episode <laughs> ah, there you, there you go. <laughs> yeah and you will experience that you know including anger for example you know and a, a lot of people are really angry at me and why you know and why shouldn't they be if the if the company they enjoyed working for was being was being was being closed and and creating space for, and to allow that anger is, is scary but really necessary and, and i i had some one-to-one -one conversations with people where I just allowed them to be really angry and to say what they needed to say to me and to and to do as best I could you know and I tried my hardest to just really to listen and allow allow them to to express that and just accept their their feelings and let them really get it off their off their chest and I think that was probably quite cathartic for some people they probably enjoyed shouting at me <laughs> some of them did but I think it's necessary you know and you will see the other stages of of grief in there for for different people at different times and it's you know it's a myth that people follow this neat trajectory the different stages pop up and die at in you know different moments and in different ways for different for different people but allowing that that grief to be to be there and accepting that it's there i think is really vital but i've got i've got a bunch more stuff around specifically around how to handle this with the people with the people if that's useful because i think well, yeah there, there was a question from elsbeth carlos yeah, I saw that one. yeah um uh, we're we're answering it at the moment i think so i thought we just do you want to continue with that yeah so thinking about the, the closing rituals is really important so yes there are a bunch of, co of conversations and um you know and i was super lucky at the time we had um 
guy working with us called Victor Lysol, who I know you, you two know him and hopefully some of the others who are on this call met him. So, so Victor is a ritual designer. So he's, he's a pro at designing rituals and has worked on transitions for all kinds of initiatives around, around the world. And he helped me to design the closing ritual, the closing process for the, for the company. And this is one of the, an incredibly creative thing that you can do that really helps to, to allow people to feel closed, even if the contractual stuff is all is all tied up. So some of the things that we did is we had a, a huge um, blackboard um, that we had on that we put on the floor, and we drew in chalk on it um, a path that represented the journey of the company from its founding to its to its closing at the other end. And then we invited everyone in the team to draw on it or write on it all the all the memories and the moments that they wanted to to record. And so we filled up this this huge chalkboard with everyone's stories about people marked when they joined, particular sort of triumphs and things they were proud of, some of the big fuck ups and mistakes and things that were really difficult for them as well. And it was all it was all laid laid down for for all to see. And then we had some process where we lit candles and placed them on the on the on the chalkboard on moments that people wanted to really take with them because people you know learned a lot and there were some really great memories and many things we were incredibly proud of that people wanted to take away with them. And then we acknowledged there were some things that people were really happy to leave behind. So we acknowledged those by putting stones collected from the, the beach here on the on the board as well. And that was a very cathartic group process to to follow and so you can really open up a lot of creativity with this um, and even doing this around how you close individual relationships because it's not just if we're trying to break down this myth that the organization is the thing it's not just that the organization is closing this is about relationships changing or even largely ending in a, in a lot of cases and so sometimes this one-to-one -one work to acknowledge what's happening at the relationship level perhaps to the person who invited you in um, and so some you know some fun things a couple of founders that i know that had quite a difficult ending when they when they had their closing ritual part of it was that they wanted to make peace with their difficulties so they went into the woods together and they had a small axe a little hatchet and they literally buried the hatchet in the wood in the woods so really symbolic and using this object to represent something they wanted to bury and leave and leave behind um, yeah, and I once flew to New York to smash a novelty teapot, which is a story I could share if people are interested, but that was along similar lines, using this particular artifact that had some symbolic meaning and, and physically smashing it as part of a closing process. I, I remember Charlie um, bringing Victor round to our studio when we were in the process of closing Sweet yeah. and, and telling us about the idea of creating a ritual. And I remember just thinking, what? <laughs> What's all that? Mm -hmm. um, uh, just seems a bit too woo-woo for me. But now I actually really regret not doing it. Mm -hmm. Because while you talk about um, that embodied feeling of closing and the, the closing of relationships, there's also a shift in identity mm -hmm. that I think I would have it would have helped me with that transition from uh, what my role was within one organization to leaving that behind actually just leaving that behind mm. yeah uh, and how that can shift your create a space for creativity to reinvent yourself in a sense yeah yeah I agree and how that. important that is yeah um, i think i think this 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 stuff is incredibly in, important and um 
and and yeah that feeling of people being transformed by it and about identity is is a really important one as well and, and ending this relationship to say like you, you had a certain relationship to this endeavor that i'd started you know and i was the fact i was the founder and then once that's ended it's just like i'm now just me and you're just you're just you we don't have this relationship any anymore and that's over and to really acknowledge that and let that feel finished what can happen is if that stuff isn't pro isn't properly closed people often unconsciously can still be trying to serve it and act from that place in the in the future you know it's the, the most extreme story of this is with the um the story some of you guys will know the, the japanese soldier hiro onoda do you know this story so the guy who was um fighting in the second world war in the in the philippines and he missed the end of the war and ended up you know still in hiding still feeling like he was in the war 30 years later and he'd been given orders to never surrender to never to never take his own his own life and he wasn't prepared to stand down even when everyone was like you can come out now it's all okay this, the war ended a long time ago and what it took for him was for a superior officer from the Japanese army to come and visit him in the Philippines. And formally, as, as from a military perspective, say, okay, I give you my the order now to stand down because we're, we're done. And, you know, it's a really interesting, it's a very powerful story. And obviously there was nothing to stop him leaving at any time, but it does show the power of closing relationships and, and really respecting, um, the field that someone stepped into to say okay that thing is is not happening anymore japan is not at war now so you do not need to fight you do not need to hide or do any or do anything um so yeah this this stuff taps into something pretty deeply deeply human feels like we need to get victor on the, one of these sessions in the future yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff i think he i i just even this uh i think kim just talked about it now and spring to mind in in, in trans any kind of transition you know, I don't know if you do this, but you meet a teacher that you had in primary school and you call still call them Miss This or Miss That or Mr. That. It's like there's a transition that should have happened there with no longer uh, yeah. that position of authority for you or that position where you have to talk speak to them in a certain way. So uh, I think that would be liberating even from an educational point of view to free yourself from that structure. But yeah. lost. Also, I, I should be calling you Dr. Carlos, but for some reason you didn't celebrate transition. Uh, <laughs> So we call him daddy, that's fine. <laughs> well, you know what, you mentioned education. I think they do this uh, um, at Waldorf Steiner schools. They really mark yeah. the transition. It's not just like, okay, we finished the end of the school year, let's have a little tea party. They go a bit, they go a bit deeper than that and go, how do we really symbolically and through ritual and ceremony allow young people to feel like they really have finished something and they've transitioned and they're not they're now not the same person that they were when they were in than they were when they were in that process yeah and that's really important for them not, not just for kids obviously but for adults to you know we have rites of passage at all sorts of stages of of life from coming of age ceremonies to, to weddings and you know funerals are, are even part of that as, as well and these things are important i think these these ceremonies are there for a for a reason that it taps into something human very easy to overlook when we think it's about business and closing a limited liquidating a limited company and terminating employment contracts it's yeah makes me think of my i'll quickly just gonna say my eldest finished high uh, primary school last year and you know the ritual of um they have their hoodies you know their leavers hoodies and they all sign each other's shirts and i remember him cry crying himself to sleep that night because he was really it was the end of an era for him you know it, it just hit him that night and I found it hugely powerful for him to almost be grieving of the the years that um, even though they, a lot of them would go to the next school, like you said, it's 
quite nice to celebrate that, even if it feels sad inside. Yeah. It's quite interesting what you're saying about the the this idea of ritual and and and, and that they exist. I think they're dying, to be honest. Um, lots there's fewer and fewer of this, and particularly when you're talking about our relationship to death, mm. I don't think we do that well these days. No, uh, particularly now, <laughs> it's really hard to. But uh, I don't think because it's I don't know how there's a the lack of belief system, whatever this idea of what the death means, that it's become much more functional rather than some a deeper meaning behind or a spiritual aspect to it. And this is where I think that's where we're maybe losing in business and in work and all the other structures we have because we've lost that sense of yeah. uh, that deeper meaning to all of it. <clears throat> yeah, it's really true. It's like we've got completely sidetracked because all of this very human stuff has been around way longer than business. You, you know, there are even um, I've seen on you know just on nature documentaries on TV. There are there are prime there are primates. I think, chimp I think probably chimpanzees, who you can see really engaging and grieving when one of their when one of their group dies. There are some there's some incredible footage of them finding the the body of one of their group that's died, and them all kind of standing around. And it, it you can really connect to it as a as a fellow primate, as a human what as a human watching it. So this stuff I think is deep in our DNA and then the process of, of, of business is really just about people coming together to do stuff together but it's taken on a life of its own where it's seen as this thing that's somehow separate from friendship and separate from families and separate from the rest of the rest of life and actually I think we need to bring those things back together again and reconnect to the, the humanness that we've had for much longer than we've had businesses. Cool. Shall we um, uh, before we close off tackle a few questions? Yep. Um, so let's start with, um, here's an interesting one. Has your own story uh, about what happened around closing your business changed over time? And mm -hmm. do you think you're more forgiving of yourself as time goes on or have you ended up being harder on yourself? Yeah, really interesting. Do you guys want to take that first? <laughs> Why not? Go, Lawrence. You never go. <laughs> that's passing the baton isn't it um has it changed over time? i think it when you tell a story a lot of times you end up telling it differently to make it more interesting for yourself i think um so i don't know if it's changed i i think sometimes you think did that actually happen or you know was that my version of it um and again because it was two of us running the company there's always our perspectives so i, I can tell a story about my perspective on what happened but then you might have a different take on it. So I think, if anything, it's probably just more understanding of my story was my story. It wasn't our story necessarily. It was one part of it. I think for me, um, what it's done over time is I've created more meaning around it and had a bit more understanding. I think the actual facts and the story hasn't changed so much. It was quite um, simple. Uh, but I think... Um, what it meant for me has changed and yeah. it's gone from uh, a sense of loss now to given what I've learned over the past seven years and conversations with yourself, Tom and, and Charlie and all the wonderful people we've met along this journey as a natural process and it's okay and it's fine. And it's taken me a while to actually detach myself from that previous role and that previous business. Um, and it's quite interesting because we, we still had clients 
in terms of people who were paying us money for hosting. And I was still doing a bit of that work. And I'm just realizing and realizing that that was just eking out <laughs> that transition. And it would never, the strings were never cut. And I think that's one of the things that I, why I think about this r ritual aspect of it, yeah. of how can you cut those strings cleanly so that you can give space to move forward. Yeah, super interesting. I think for, for me, I've, I've discovered sort of new layers to the story that I wasn't aware of at the time. So I'll give you just one example of that. Um, so there was this real thread running through that, the whole story of that previous company around freedom. And I, and I'd, I'd felt really constrained in the education system. And then in my first job where I worked for a shit boss and, you know, and at a certain point at Nixon McInnes, we are, I articulated the purpose of the company was about expanding freedom and agency in the world. And there was something really good and powerful in, in that. And it, it created a lot of the good stuff in our, in our culture. But then there was this real shadow to it as well, which was about being really afraid to ever not be free, like in any moment, to ever be held to account, for example, which was really not, which was really not healthy. And I realized that all of this subconscious stuff for me that I had about freedom was playing out in this story of this initiative that I wasn't, that I wasn't aware of. And actually, the funny thing about it is, is I could have done the inner work much earlier to just deal with my shit around freedom or, and being trapped and not had to project that onto, onto, the onto the company. So, yeah, so sometimes much later, you might discover these, these little subplots as you, learn, as you learn more about yourself and your conditioning that you've picked up from, from, from childhood. There can be these other subplots. But, um, but I think more than anything else, I've actually... I have more sort of ease in in the story now, you know, to sort of channel my one of my heroes, Brene Brown, again. You know, it's like everyone was doing the best that they could, and we were doing the only things we knew how to do at the time with the level of awareness that we had, with the skills and experience that we had. Um, and yeah, and seeing everybody who was involved in it thrive, and all kinds mm. of things happen that may not have had a chance to flourish had we kept just plugging away with this company that probably did need to close um so yeah nice the question thank you lena for that question uh even when you're towards the end of that what you're saying for me as well that um one thing i really wish i had at the time was more awareness of that in or having done more of that inner work uh and being able to hold that space maybe even better because of knowing what's mine, what's the other person's, and then making decisions. Actually, even just feeling less stressed about that situation yeah. uh, because you you feel more in control of your own emotions and wh why you're doing what you're doing. So hmm. I, I, I think that's core to anyone who's going to be in leadership. I now believe more and more that how that much that work is really useful. Hmm. Um, oh, here's a, here's a, a more of a... Uh, We'll see how it goes with you. What about going down the employee ownership route from Matt? Yeah, great. So, That's a really good question. And that was actually part of my vision for the for the company to, to transition it to employee ownership. So I'm a really big believer in that. And now I'll say two things about this. So the first that really the first thing that really surprised me was that when we floated this idea to the to the company that there would be essentially an all employee buyout of the company and the founders would get sort of paid off over time over the over out of the profit that the company makes and then it would become wholly owned like um, like a cooperative like a worker owned co-op by the people who were there. I thought everyone was going to love this idea and they actually and what they actually said perhaps because we had a very democratic participatory culture they said 
actually we don't really care that much about about that happening and um and they didn't like the idea that the founders were going to get paid off over time out of the profits that it was going to create this debt in effect even though as shareholders all the, we were entitled to all the profit and it was down you know ultimately it was down to us to decide what to reinvest so that really surprised me actually yeah that they weren't it's interesting elspeth is saying saying the same too and sometimes you know if you're in a in a different kind of company perhaps people would be mm. really wanting that so actually people weren't weren't that interested in it but the other thing the other side of this i would say is that ownership is yet another part of this organizational layer up up here and people can project a lot of power onto things like shares and, and ownership whereas actually the real magic happens down here when you think about the creative initiative that's that's driving that's driving it so yes yeah, so i'm all for yeah employee ownership but i would still say make the first priority figuring out what's the creativity underneath this that's trying to um that's trying to uh, unfold in the world brilliant okay um, so last um question i thought we could tackle is veronica's uh she asks how has the period between transitioning out of your business and your next thing been for you what should be important to focus on she's going through this process at the moment so that's why i assume she's curious about your experience yeah yeah it's a good question so <clears throat> the first thing i'd say is trying if you can to create a bit of space between the old and and the thing that comes next so the interesting thing that happened to me when i closed my company actually originally my idea was going to be to pare it back to almost nothing to so get rid of all of the overhead so there'd be no people no office um, but still have the still have the brand and then and then use that to start building new things again um, and I, I've even in a Google Doc got an entire website that I wrote that I wrote for it and then I said you know what I need to a bit of space before I actually do this and after I'd had that space I realized that actually I didn't need that thing that it really was done and and the new things that were going to emerge were coming out of a new energy they weren't the next iteration of what came before but i could have potentially got really sidetracked and, and started you know relaunched the brand and done all of this stuff that actually ultimately wasn't what was needed so i would say try and yeah create a bit of space um if you can um and then what was the other part of the question i forgot what the second bit was so what is what's important to focus on yeah um so in that in that transition period yeah. so i think being yeah, not rushing into it, but then really reconnecting to what your creative, your deeper creative impulses are, because mm. um, that's where every everything starts. What have you really got, really got energy for? And that can take some time, and it can um, it can require a bit of recharging as well. So it's not just about time, but also about allowing your energy to replenish. Because I think people go through a big creative arc, and it and it ends. You might just need some rest to really to really reconnect um and i think you know as and when it's ready it will emerge quite naturally you'll you'll start to feel the impulse building again and you'll be ready to launch the next the next mm. arc. i think energy is a big big one um there's a mutual friend of ours in brighton who i was sharing with matt who's actually sold sold his company to his employees i was working with him a bit um and he thought he wanted to start a new company and then after a few chats realized that's the last thing he wanted to do because he just didn't he was just swapping one problem for another basically and and yeah. he actually took some time out and ended up going back to study and, and maybe he will start another company but i think having a, a bit of a, a buffer between the two is what he needed um I, 
wouldn't say we had that luxury. Um, our approach is very different in that I suppose we've found our path more through doing rather than not doing. Well, I think one was something was was birthing as as another thing. Actually, the way I describe it, something was was birthing, and so the other thing had to die. It wasn't like, all right, we're going to close this thing, and what's going to happen next? It was is more of a case that we can't run these two things at the same time. Yeah. And I had no energy to run the agency on its own. You had the energy to move the happy startup score forward, and so it's like, well, we're not we're we're not uh, being is not helping us to have these two things exist at the same time. So at some point it's like, we need to, the decision was where do we want to focus our energy and what had a future? And, and I, um, we couldn't see a bright future of just running the, running the agency anymore. No. And, and that became the decision. And so it feels like our position was still similar to what Tom said is like, where's the creativity, where's the energy. And, and if there isn't, if there isn't creativity, then don't force it. It feels like don't don't make something because you need to fill the void. Yeah, yeah exactly. The starting point is not, oh, I'm, I've got to start another business. What do I want that business to be about? That's the wrong no. way around. It needs to be, yeah, connecting to an impulse that might lead you to starting a business or it I might think, lead you to joining someone else. I think the thing I was, I found, I remember this this guy, and I think Elspeth um, has had this, he's on, the, on our program at the moment. She, um, I think, having a different story is important. And I think not having a story to tell when people ask you, why did you close your company? I haven't got anything pulling you forward can be a challenging one. And so maybe it's trying to replace that and say, you've got a new story, which is I'm starting this thing. Um, but with a void of that, I think it can be hard for any of us to have that story to tell someone. I don't know if you found that. Yeah. Maybe for it's like that for an ego thing or just an identity or even just making your life easy when someone asks you in the pub what are you do what are you up to now. Yeah. Yeah. And it can feel quite vulnerable if your if your identity is quite wrapped up in like oh, I'm the founder of this thing and it's got a big office in the middle of the city and people Yeah. And it's like, I'm now an unemployed entrepreneur. I'm now, I'm now just me and it yeah, there is a lot of letting go. But it's actually really liberating. It's like, oh I'm done with all of that. I I'm now, now I'm freed up again. Yeah. Well, it's looping around, I think, to what you said at the beginning about this taboo around death mm. and closing and failure and, and essentially doing nothing. Yeah, uh, nice segue. So, mm. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm conscious that we're, we're, we run over a little bit over time. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of things that we wanted to, to share with you before we go. But um, before we do that, Tom, is there anything that you would like to share with with people who've been listening so far, or anywhere they'd like you'd like to point them? Um, well, I think my four year old wants to come in and tell, and tell me. <laughs> wedged, I put a door stop to wedge the door to wedge the door shop to wedge the door shut. But anyway, um, so yeah, you can you can find me on on social media, my my blog posts and articles. If you just Google Tom Nixon, if anyone wants. If anyone wants to connect with me on on LinkedIn, um, I'll send you three chapters of my book when that's when that's ready. Um, let me just send you a link to my LinkedIn. So yeah, connect with LinkedIn, and then if you've got any other questions or if there's anything I can do to help, then um, then yeah, give us a shout. But yeah, my book is called Founders in Flow, which will be coming out this year. Nice one. Thank you very much, Tom. Yeah, and so yeah, having if you are in a point of transition, you're closing something, and you feel the need to to do something else. Maybe Lawrence, you've got an antidote for that. All right, is this the sales pitch? <laughs> <laughs> 
This is spreading the message, Lawrence. Okay, sorry. Um, no, no, we're recruiting for our new 2020 vision cohort in September. So um, some of the people on the call are part of this current cohort. It's really for people who, like us, were maybe running a service business or a business where they were giving a lot of their time and wanting to transition to something a bit more either meaningful or maybe a bit effortless in terms of the way they run it. And yeah, focused on everyone's doing at the moment online, really creating a more impact through online means. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in that, I'll post the link in the chat. Yeah, that's one of the things for us. It's, it's very much about trying to regain that energy. Um, sometimes we can lose, uh, fall out of love with our businesses. Uh, and we've seen that happen with us. Um, we want to give people an opportunity to either fall back in love or fall in love with something else. And, and that requires a lot of the time, just a bit of uh, soul searching, but also doing that in the company of others. I, I don't know about you. I, I wish we had had more of a support network around us um, when we were switching or changing up. We had the, the nascent community, but then being around other people who've done it before well, and uh, Tom was a good guide. But ha when you have a cohort and like a real mm. tight group of people around you, you feel like you can you can push through a lot harder things. So if that's of interest to you, then please check us out. Lawrence has shared the note on the group. And then there's also the idea of doing nothing. Yeah. So if you had enough of doing stuff and you're done with Crowdcasts and Zoom calls, then join us doing nothing in two weeks. Um, it's on Saturday, 20th of June. It's the longest day of the year, summer solstice. And this has come about from us wanting to do a virtual summit to replace altitude, which I think we would have been flying out to today, in fact, um, which is our annual retreat for leaders and founders. And rather than do that and add some more noise, we just decided to just do the opposite and just create an event where we kind of opt out ideally from tech for the day and um, just enjoy a bit of space. And so it's ended up with a collaborative book being written and uh, it's now got um, lots of things in the go. So yeah, sign up at dayofnothing.co. Um, it's kind of a collaborative creative project that seems to have struck a nerve with a lot of people. And so more than anything, like Tom said, the need for me was to to create a space for nothing for myself. And it seems like other people want that too. Brilliant. Awesome. Great. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate your time yeah. and knowledge and, and, and your stories. Uh, next week, we are going to be joined by the lovely and amazing Christine Rain. Uh, we're going to talk about empathy. Uh, and why we need more of it and how it can help in business and other aspects actually can need why it's also needed in the world so if that's of interest to you next week because she is based in costa rica we're not going to get her up at five o'clock in the morning uh, which is midday our time will the time will be shifting to 4 30 p.m next week but check us out on crowdcast and register for that if you want to learn more about using the power of empathy in your lives and in your business uh, and next Wednesday, uh, I'm going to be talking to Charles Vogel, who's releasing a book called uh, Brand Communities. And this idea of rather than just searching for customers, how do you build community around your business? And what does that really mean to build an authentic community? So if that's of interest to you and you're curious about what, what does this community building thing mean when it comes to business, then sign up for that conversation as well. Uh, and again, you can check us out on Crowdcast uh, to find a list of all the different conversations we'll be having over the next few weeks. Thanks, Thank guys. you very much, everyone who's here and who, who staked, stuck with us for the whole uh, session. Uh, and thank you again, Tom. Catch you later. Cheers, everyone. See you, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Happy Entrepreneur podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Also, if you'd like to learn more about being a happy entrepreneur and want to connect with more people like you, then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Amongst many other things about business and life, we'll help you answer the following questions. How can I serve others by being myself? And how can I discover who I really am by serving others?